It's important to pass on our faith to future generations. That can happen in formal settings or in the dailiness of life. Here's Karen Loritz. At home, we always had this little notebook that we kept not only scriptures, but what we're asking and believing God for and and then having the answers on how God is answering those prayers. And that became memory things for our children. And then listening to those God stories from their grandparents whenever we went to Virginia and sit on the porch and listen to Pop talk about the faithfulness of God on giving him this job in New Jersey or, or Nana, things that she's learning at church. So they always heard about the faithfulness of God upfront and personal. This is the Revive Our Hearts podcast with Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth, author of Choosing Forgiveness, for July 26, 2019. Today is the final day in a series called Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow. The entire series is available to listen to or read online at reviveourhearts.com. Here's Nancy to wrap up the conversation with Crawford and Karen Loritz. Well, over the past several days, we've had a really rich and sweet conversation with my good friends, Crawford and Karen Loritz. If you missed any of it, I want to urge you to go back to reviveourhearts.com. You can read the transcripts, you can listen to the audio, and uh, just so many practical, helpful, wise bits of advice from a couple who's been there, who is there, 47 plus years of marriage and um, coming out of very different backgrounds, but going to the Word of God, to the wisdom of God, to get what they've needed, to have a marriage that goes the distance. And uh, so thank you, Crawford and Karen, for for living this message, mm. for writing this book, and then for talking with our Revive Our Hearts listeners this week. Oh, it has been a great privilege and a joy, Nancy. So rich, hasn't it been? Mm -hmm. And I'm listening. I'm on the edge of my seat. Robert's been actually (laughs) on the other side of the glass in the studio. He's listening as well. And we're so thankful for models like the two of you, uh, not anybody perfect, but uh, models that our own parents, Robert's Mm -hmm. parents and Mm -hmm. my parents, Mm -hmm. gave us such a gift Mm. of. Being married with grace yes, and going the distance. Yes, yes. And, of course, my dad died when my mom was only 40, so they mm. didn't have the length of marriage. But to watch in both of our sets of parents a commitment to God's Word, mm-hmm. a commitment to the Lordship yes. of Christ is a sweet gift they've given us. And now we're wanting to give to those coming behind us mm. a gift of marriage that reflects the beauty of Christ. And the book you've written is not just about uh, how to have a happy marriage, though living this way will certainly make for happier marriages, Absolutely, uh, but it's about having a marriage that is missional. And I think, don't you, Crawford and Karen, that in the era in which we're living, I don't know if this has ever been more important because there's such confusion, yes. even among Christians, about the purpose of marriage, about what marriage is, and there's and marriage has gotten such a bad rap because there's so yes. many bad marriages. Yes. So don't you think it's as important as ever that we have marriages that reflect the gospel? Absolutely. It's it is more important than ever. Even just looking at it statistically, that uh, the divorce culture that we have inherited and that's all around us has made us uh, suspect 
often uh, and uh, cautious about commitment and about marriage. And so many know, not even bothering to get married they're not anymore. Bothering to get married, and the cohabitation is exploding, and and people are waiting longer to get married. And there's and, fear and, and all yeah. of that, all of that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the pain and disappointment yeah. of uh, poor modeling and marriages that didn't work out. And I don't want to repeat that cycle. And so. I think now, oddly enough, this this becomes an amazing opportunity mm-hmm. for for uh, Christ-centered, godly marriages to be a testimony to the culture and a beacon of light in a humble but uh, attractive way. Yeah. And uh, that, no, you don't have to live that way. And this is what marriage should be all about. And you've been very transparent in the conversation we've had this week in saying that those kinds of marriages don't just happen. No. They're not ready-made. Mm-hmm. Karen, you came into marriage with a lot of baggage and um, a lot of poor models, and you both came in with, you know, you're both sinners and a lot of differences, but you have you've stayed the course, you've made adjustments, you've humbled yourselves, you've repented over and over and over yes. again, and now— it's not that it's perfect, but God's given you a sweet uh, marriage that's a gift to your children, to your grandchildren, to to everybody around you. And to my extended family, too. Yeah. They, they can look at Crawford and our relationship and our marriage, and they, they are not believers, but they respect that there's something different about us because in their circles, they didn't see that. And I can only tell them, this is God. This is only God because you know that I did not have it within me to do, and it's a God thing. And no matter what they may think, you know, about God, they cannot say that God hasn't been good to Karen and what he's done in our life because they see it. And there's great intentionality that you have to embrace, too, though. You know, I I think it was Chuck Swindoll, the Bible teacher, radio Bible teacher, that said, I believe it was him, that great marriages are not kept together by feelings of love. They're kept together by a commitment to love mm-hmm. and, and, and where you have to be intentional. And I, I want our listeners to understand something here, though. Yes, we've been married for 47 years, but it's not over yet. You know, as long as we're breathing, we're just a quarter inch away from stupid. <laughs> we can do foolish things. And yeah. the Bible says, let he who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And, uh, Nancy, we were talking off. You can't off, coast. No, you can't coast. And we are talking off air about a, a great Bible preacher and teacher uh, who's up in his 80s who told a friend of ours that, uh, hey, look, I'm afraid of drowning in shallow water. And what he meant by that was that, look, after all of the good things that God has done for me, I don't want to get lazy and do something very foolish that, that just washes away God's faithfulness. And so, you know, that's not to make us fearful, but that is to infuse us with urgency and that we can't coast through the finish line. Yeah. That every day of our lives, we have to trust God every moment of our lives. And, and this institution of marriage is a gift from God. And the enemy would, he wants to destroy our future. He wants to destroy everything that we stood for. And so we have to be vigilant and be very, very intentional about not only what our marriage looks like now, but what we're placing in the hands of the next generation. Yes. There's a lot at stake. Yeah, there's a lot at stake. That's right. And I, I just look at, and I, I don't mean to sound preachy here, 
but I look at the state of our culture and what's going on today in our country and the lack of leadership and and the and the character that character that's necessary and you know no matter how you slice it or dice it all roads lead back to somebody who said I do hmm. yeah all roads lead back there and if the family structure is eroded there's pain and there's shrapnel, and yeah. there are issues that we have to deal with. And we we somehow or another need a revival of godly marriages and uh, that will go to distance and a commitment to that, uh, not in some legalistic sense, but in a real transformative sense that leads with the Word of God, that models what things should be, that becomes a compelling example of what the destination looks like. So succeeding generations will have benchmarks when they go through their times of adversity and suffering. And wouldn't that do a lot if our marriages were these godly models? then our churches would be godly models and our communities would be godly models, you know, in our schools. Exactly. It would just explosively a revival all, all over the globe, wouldn't it? That's yeah. right, because the first institution was the family. Yeah. And God intended the family to be the cornerstone of all of civilization. Mm-hmm. And if that is fractured, then, you know, you don't need to be a social psychologist or <laughs> to figure out yeah. that it has residual impact on everything else in the culture and society. Mm-hmm. And you just can't try as you might. You can you can rebrand the family. You can redefine what family is. You can redefine what marriage is. But, you know, that's, excuse the illustration, but it's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig. It, it's, it, <laughs> it has to be. It, it, it was what God intended for it to be. And until we get back to his intention— we're not. We're going to be reflecting less than what he wanted us to reflect in the in the context of human history. And of yeah. course, his intention is to give an earthly picture. Yes. Of the great, eternal, heavenly reality of the plan of redemption. Exactly. It's Christ's covenant-keeping love yes. for His bride Amen. and the bride's eager, responsive "Yes, Lord." Yes. Um, that's the story yes. we're meant to tell, Absolutely. and that's the story that only Christian marriages can tell, but that they ought to tell well. So there's something bigger than yes. us. There's yes. a cosmic yes. uh, story here, and mm. um, not only cosmic, but for generations to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that reminds me of a passage. I'd like us to just <laughs> spend, at the end of this um, week of broadcast, we've had a passage that's familiar to each of us and to many of our listeners. It's a psalm. It's not really about marriage per se, but I think it has a lot to say about the priority and the process and the product of the kind of missional marriage we've been talking about. And... uh it's written by one of the worship leaders, Asaph, yes, yes. and so it's, it's actually, this is part of our worship. He says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So you see legacy here. Mm-hmm. We will not hide them from their children but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. So, he's saying there's something we're going to pass to the next generation that we've received from a previous generation. We're not just isolated, stuck here as dots on this planet right now. We have a history and we have a future. And then verses 5 through 7, where we want to focus the next few moments. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel— 
which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. Now, that is a great psalm. It goes on. But let's just stop there and um, help us see Asaph talks about a testimony and a law. Tell us, you know, what this passage says to us that can be applied to our marriages, starting with the priority that God has for our marriages. Yeah, and I think what Asaph is giving to us is how we shape the next generation. This is the blueprint for shaping the next generation. And it is, uh, I'm not saying it's easy to do, but the commissioning here is very clear. There's a lot of clarity that he gives us in terms of what we need to do to shape the next generation. And this isn't just for pastors it or teachers. It is not just for or pastors or, or anything. It's for all of us. And, and, and the psalm here, he, he pushes the rewind button. It really speaks of Israel as, as uh, the family of God. Mm-hmm. And so I think these principles can be applied to what marriage is all about. And mind you that the whole purpose of marriage, uh, among many things, but it was to steward the image of God from one generation to the next placing that into the hands of the next generation. So this is like a baton race here. This is like a baton. A relay race yeah, where you've got to pass yeah, that yeah. baton. Yeah. That's right. And so what, what are we placing in the hands of the next generation? And I think what we really need to be clear about, it, it, it's wonderful to give our families, you know, give our kids great experiences. It's wonderful to have the vacations and, and, and the great memories and the holidays together and the birthdays and the celebrations and all these things. That's great. But the thing that's going to endure, the passion and the purpose is found in verse 5 when he says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. And here you have two things that he says that, that God, God placed permanently in our hands to pass on from one generation to the next. Uh, I would argue that once, when he says establish a testimony, he's talking about the character of God. Mm-hmm who God is and yeah. how he's worked in your history. Mm-hmm. And to focus on that, that this family, this marriage has been about him. Yeah. It's been about his hand. It's been about his blessing. And try as you might, you cannot escape the faithfulness of God in the development of this household. It's all around us. It's all around his his provision and his intervention and all of this. So the, and you want that to be unmistakably clear to your kids. You want it to be kids. unmistakably clear to your kids. You were not, and I'm not that smart. Yeah. I mean, I've said to our kids, you know, any dysfunction that you have is not God's fault. It's probably mine. <laughs> okay. Any, any guess that you have is not on God. It's on me. God was trying to hit a straight lick with a crooked stick, mm. and I'm the crooked stick. So, but, but, it, it, it's, but it's all about him. And so that's his character. But he says, and he appointed a law in Israel. Uh, I love the, the, the words appointed a law, uh, the statement of objectivity. That, so you have the character of God, and then secondly, you have the content of Scripture. Yeah. So this frames, it, it frames who you are. Yeah. This is your identity, and this is what's placed in your hands from one generation to the next. And it's almost as if Asaph is saying that if you want joy, if you want completeness, if you want wholeness, if you want purpose, if you want stability, then it's all about the character of God and the content of Scripture. And it's not just about holding these things for yourself. No. You need it yourself first. That's right. But then he says, Karen, that they should... Tell the next generation, arise and tell them to their children. And I know you and Crawford have been really intentional yes. as your four kids were growing up and right. now with your grandkids yes. about 
telling your kids and grandkids about the Word of God and the character of God in You've done it both in uh, more structured ways, but then also in informal and unstructured ways. Right. Give we, us a like, glimpse of what that looked like. Some Sometimes, you know, of course, worshiping together at church, not sending them to church, but going to church with them, being involved in what they're learning in church. And then at home, we always had this little notebook that we kept, not only scriptures, but what we're asking and believing God for and and then having the answers on how God is answering those prayers. And that became memory things for our children. And then listening to those God stories from their grandparents whenever you went to Virginia and sit on the porch and listen to Pop talk about the faithfulness of God and mm. giving him his job in New Jersey or, or Nana and things that she's learning at church. So they always heard about the faithfulness of God upfront and personal, worship at home and worship at church and those types of things. And then having those scriptures around the house and then being on staff with crew for all those years, them being involved in seeing missions and taking them on mission journeys. So they're just not hearing what mom and dad are saying, but they're seeing scriptures lived out in lives, whether it's, you know, uh, international trip or wherever. But they saw God personally in our lives and how we worship together. And we try to infuse that, and even in terms of how we discipline our kids, we got some great advice. We weren't this smart. We got some great advice (laughs) when our kids were really, really small. I mean, they were like toddlers uh, about uh, when you discipline your children, about doing stuff wrong to hug them, to pray with them before you discipline them, and to read the scriptures to them, uh, help them to understand. And this may sound like it, but this is hopeful. That what they did, uh, you know, hurt the heart of uh, hurt God. Hurt the heart of God, yeah. but also it gives them hope too, because there's love and forgiveness with Him. And so, and then when they had disappointments in their lives, and when they didn't make a team, or something happened that didn't work out, we tried to we tried to infuse God's principles in in their hearts and lives. So, you know, not that they were beaten up with the Bible, but it was a natural part. And even when we failed as parents to uh, repent before them, ask for their forgiveness, to tell them that we were wrong and we, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then how all that worked out so that they, they absolutely couldn't miss it. You know, one of the things we did, too, is um, we did this with our all of our kids, but particularly Brian and I, he was our oldest son. And when he was a little boy, he used to take him down to uh, Conover, North Carolina, which is old homestead for the Loritz family. But a number of years ago, a few years back, uh, Brian and I were speaking at um, a conference here in Asheville, North Carolina, which is not too far from uh, the old homestead in Conover. is less than an hour away. And I said, Brian, you want to go to Conover and just go to the graveyard there behind behind Thomas Chapel AME Zion Church there? And uh, so he, we got in the car and we drove down there. He hadn't been there since he was a little boy. So we walked behind the, the, the church, and that church was uh, – uh, that was originally Loritz land. My grandfather had given them the land to build a church, but there had been a cemetery back there even before the church was there. And back in that cemetery, oh, I would say about a third to almost half of the folks buried there are Loritzes. Wow. And they're, they're related to us. Even Peter, the uh, the slave, is buried back there, but we can't, we can't find his, his – his, his grave. 
And so as Brian and I were walking around, and I was explaining who these people were, and, uh, you know, here's your your great-grandfather, Milton, and his and your great-grandmother, Anna. They're buried there, and your uncle uh, Emery's here, and your uncle Wardell, and your aunt, uh, you know, Annie, and all of this, and who these people were, and the price that they paid, and this kind of thing. I remember, uh, Nancy, I, I got ambushed by emotion, and I began to weep because I turned to Brian and said to him, son— these people paid your tuition. Mm-hmm. And what, what I meant by that, and he got it, was that their, their godly lives, what was placed in their hands, they passed on from one generation to the next. And as parents, we want people, our, our, our grandkids and great-grandkids, visiting the cemetery where we are. Yeah. We want them to say with joy in their hearts, Thank you for the character of God, and thank you for the content of Scripture. You paid my tuition. And we want to live and fight in such a way that uh, it's worthy of their gratitude. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have biological children, we're all influencing people. There are folks that we're mentoring. There are people that's watching us, you know, and, and we're related to other people. And our model, our our walk counts and it matters. And so these same principles in Psalm 78 uh, verses 5 through 7 can be expressed through us through discipleship and through mentoring, and we can have a signature that will go on long after us. And that's true also for those who aren't married. That's Let me right. say, as someone who was single for the yeah. first 57 years of yeah. my life, we're talking about the family of God here. Amen. And yeah. the way that we speak about marriage, the way that we represent God's heart on marriage, mm-hmm. but also the way we invest in the lives of those in the next generation, Amen. all is making a difference. Amen. And that's the story of my married friends, Miss Kowalchuk and Mrs. Bourne. They were two women that never had children. And yet they love me as their child. And look what we get today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Amen. To women. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the hope then is that the outcome is what you read here in Psalm 78, yes. that they will put their hope in God, that they will not forget the works yes. of God, and that they will keep his commandments. Absolutely. So they'll be receiving that legacy you're leaving for them, but also be intentional about passing that legacy on to the next generation. How else is it going to be passed on? Yeah, and and this sounds like a narrow statement, but I'll say it, nothing else really matters. Hmm. Nothing else really matters. I mean, the money, that's going to be gone, the, the, the trinkets and toys, the stuff. What really matters? And... Uh, it's, it's, it's that each succeeding generation represents and embraces that image, that sense of mission, that joy, that amazing purpose. I mean, it's just, just unbelievable. So that's what we want to do for them. Yeah. In the uh, close of this book, you have an afterword, and I think it's very moving. You say, our heart's desire in writing this book is to underscore the reality that marriage affects future generations. The sacred institution of marriage was meant to be an until-death-do-us-part commitment. And that's because it is God's heart and intention that marriage serve as an anchor, a portrait of stability, and a source of hope in launching future generations. 
And then you say, and we've talked about this, that divorce and dysfunctional marriages have produced a harvest of instability, leaving the next generation wondering if it's possible to find and experience true love, joy, and happiness in marriage. If what we've seen in our homes is so disappointing and unfulfilling, then why would we want to repeat the cycle? And I think that's what a lot of people are feeling today. But then... This is what you've been telling us all through this series. The cycle doesn't have to be repeated. What we have seen and experienced doesn't have to be our destiny. God can change the direction of your life and your future. He did it for Karen. He did it for my mother, you said, Crawford. And he is doing it for thousands of others. And that's our hope as we've had this conversation this week, uh, is that God would start a whole new thing Amen. in many hearts Amen. for His glory, for the happiness and joy of His people, but for His glory in subsequent generations. Karen and Crawford Loritz will be back in a moment to pray. They've joined Nancy DeMoss-Walgamuth all this week, talking about the importance of investing in your marriage and leaving a godly legacy. If you've been challenged by this conversation, I hope you'll take a step in living out what you've heard. Here's one easy first step. Get a copy of Crawford and Karen's new book. It's called Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow, Making Your Relationship Matter Now and for Generations to Come. We'd like to send you a copy when you support the ministry of Revive Our Hearts with a gift of any size. You can do that at reviveourhearts.com or by calling 1-800-569-5959. Ask for the book, Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow, when you call. That's 1-800-569-5959. God is doing some amazing things to rescue young women who have been caught up in sex trafficking. Here's some powerful stories of hope starting Monday. I hope you'll join us here on Revive Our Hearts. Now Nancy's back to wrap up her conversation with Crawford and Karen Loritz. And I would love for us just to close this time by Mm. asking first Karen, if you would, and then Crawford, if you would pray for listeners Mm. and that God Mm. would sow mm-hmm. seeds of grace mm-hmm. and hope mm-hmm. and healing in people who've been listening to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, Father, you are able. Mm-hmm. You are able, Father. And I just thank you so much for your word. It's so true. Lord, you will um, bless us as we bless your word. Mm-hmm. And Lord, just as you've done in my life and hundreds of lives across this country that know you and, and have a following you and believe in you, Father. You have taken something that was um, illegitimate and dysfunctional, that had no hope written on it, mm-hmm. and because of the blood of Jesus, Father, you've covered that. And I thank you personally, mm-hmm. Father, for the salvation mm-hmm. that you gave me as a young girl, and how mm-hmm. I'm so surprised, Lord, that now you, you use me, not because of who I am, but because of you. Mm-hmm. And I just thank you, Father, that you will do that for those that are listening to my voice, mm-hmm. that there's nothing that you cannot do. There's nothing hard for you. And we just thank you, Father. Would you do it again? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mm-hmm. pray in your name. 
And Father, we thank you for uh, the fact that you're the God of uh, new beginnings. And wherever there's breath, there's hope, Father. Mm-hmm. We, we are not. We're not just uh, prisoners of our background. We're, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're your children. And God, by faith, if we've trusted you and received you as Savior and Lord, you, you give us what we need to be what you've called us to be. And so, Father, I do pray for that listener out there who's struggling and who needs hope. Father, I pray that they will reach out to you and open your word and claim your promises, Mm -hmm. O God, and realize that uh, moment by moment you can give them exactly what they need. Mm -hmm. Lord, we would be so bold to pray for the marriages and families of this country that we would see a revival in our homes, Mm -hmm. Lord. and that you will begin uh, a work afresh and anew and restoring families and restoring hope and uh, giving us what we need. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll encourage those of us who are out there day by day and maybe we've gotten discouraged, but may we turn to you and realize, oh God, that this is a mission worth giving our lives for mm-hmm. and that we said I do. And God, you're able, Father, to help us to keep our word And the burden is on you, the pressure's on you, and you're able, Father, to translate that vision to reality. Bless succeeding generations through us, we pray in Mm -hmm. Jesus' name. Amen. Revive Our Hearts with Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth is trusting God for a revival of godly marriages. The program is an outreach of Life Action Ministries.